0: Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. You're listening to episode number 80 with Jessica Marks. This is one of my most requested guests. She's a repeat guest. We had her on the first time in the last season, I believe, episode number 22. And now we're talking all about kind of future proofing your business, growing and scaling to the next level, getting yourself in networks that really do move the needle for your business. And this is something that Jessica does so well. And I'm just trying to follow along in her footsteps. So I would absolutely recommend you pay close attention to this episode, take notes if you have to, and make sure you're following Jessica on social. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Kiss my aesthetic branding. Getting entrepreneurship you're listening to the kiss my aesthetic podcast i'm your host michelle winterstein of mkw creative co where we build brag worthy brands through visual identity design and social media you're in the right spot for branding marketing and entrepreneurship advice so enjoy the episode greetings and welcome back to the kiss my aesthetic podcast we have another repeat guest on the pod today welcome back jessica Hey, Michelle. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to have you back on because your episode, people gave such good feedback last time. They're like, wow, that was so helpful. You gave so much sales knowledge, business growth knowledge. So really excited to have you back on. I'm excited to be here. I feel like a lot of your listeners reached out
1: in my DMs last time, and I loved having all that after conversations with them.
0: Hmm. So we definitely are going to pick up where we left off from that conversation. But for people who don't know you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got started?
1: Yes. So my name is Jessica Marks, and I am the founder of an all-female-led advisory firm out of San Diego, California. I am a former multi-billion dollar company healthcare executive where I oversaw our entire national sales team and corporate strategy. We ended up taking it to market and it sold. I stayed on for two more years until I got pregnant with my twins And decided that I was going to take everything that I built and learn and strategize there and help female entrepreneurs achieve the same thing in their companies. So with brand new twins, I started my business almost five years ago, and we have been able to work with over a thousand female entrepreneurs and help them grow to multiple six
0: and seven figures. My goodness. It's been such a journey watching that as well, because you started Heart and Hustle Company, right? Yes. That was the first iteration. What year was that that you had started that we first connected? Uh, you and I first connected in 2018. Right, 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 right. Oh. Through a networking group. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's so evolved since then. What do you feel like has been the biggest shift since you first started to where you are now?
1: I would say just the level in which I've been able to network and connect and be a referral source. If you know me, you know I am a huge connector. Um, So I'm constantly, you know, building my resource list so I'm able to not only provide our clients, Um, with leads, but also referrals. And I would say that when I initially started my company, I was coming out of that corporate healthcare role. And so most of the people within my circle were all male or within completely different industries. And so I didn't have a ton of hot leads. And I originally started with like the newer entrepreneur, the solopreneur and startup And obviously, as my company's grown and the evolution of who we work with and building out the firm, we're now working with women at different revenue levels. And so it's been great because we are really focused on individual strategy. We don't have a one size fits all formula for our clients. And it's important that we work with clients that are at a certain revenue or at a certain point in their business so they can afford to implement the strategies we are giving them to see that six and seven figure growth
0: within their organizations. And it's crazy how much you've been able to build up that ladder because from when you started, your offerings have also evolved. So... Where you're at now, can you kind of walk us through, here's how someone starts with you to then gets to that bread and butter service all the way up to like your VIP gold star client. You'll go to the ends of the earth for them. Like (laughs) kind of map out everything for us that you've got going on.
1: Yes. So I think we're actually very different from a lot of the other coaches or mentorship programs that are out there because so many of them do have a starting point where they kind of feed everybody through this funnel. We're actually the complete opposite. We base off where our clients are at into which is the right program for them. And we clearly identify that from how long they've been in business, the size of their business, their team, their headcount, and ultimately their revenue, right? Because what we're telling somebody that's maybe just generating a hundred to two hundred thousand, that's, you know, a solopreneur within their first couple years of business is going to be completely different than what we guide somebody who may be in the same industry but have millions of dollars in revenue, a headcount of you know 25 employees, and signing $100,000 contracts. It's going to be completely different. So when clients come to us, they may have an idea of what program they've had an eye on, but we're really great on discovery calls of talking through it with the clients, figuring out where they're at, where they want to go, and which of our programs is going to be right for them. So if they are... In the lower revenue thresholds of 100,000 to 200,000, we put them in our Female Founders Club, um, which is our group program, but it's a high touch point with over eight calls per month, where we are then able to help them fast track success and kind of skip those beginning stages of trying to figure out what should programs be, where should I be priced at, how do I get referrals and leads coming in. And then we have our mastermind that we run twice a year. It's a six-month program. And this is for women that are making multiple six and seven figures that are not only looking for a high level of mentorship, but are really looking for a network of seven other women to do business with. And they can lean on one another. The conversations are higher. We do a business roundtable every month. So you're not just getting access to myself and my team of advisors, but you have seven other women who are running companies of the same caliber, and the conversations completely change. And then, obviously, like once you've gone through either one of those programs, we do have our premier clients that we work with in a minimum of a 12 month retainer. And we really are like the fractional CEO or outsource board of directors for them and are much more in the day-to-day business. And these are the women that are truly looking to build multi, multi million dollar
0: companies. So impressive. And it's so impressive to watch everything from following you on social media and how much value you provide to everyone, really kind of through the lens of your social and through hosting these lunches, these CEO lunches that I've been able to be a part of have been really incredible. You talk so much about creating your network and creating your Rolodex of contacts contacts to really not only build your business, but help people to serve your clients better. Because when you are connected, you can serve at such a higher level. Um, So for me realizing, for example, I didn't want to design websites anymore. It's like, well, I better find a whole list of website designers that I really, really recommend so that I know my clients are being taken care of because that referral does come back as a factor of your value to that client. Right? So Networking, I learned through college, and I learned through being in a sorority because that was like the best networking training ever. Um, but where do you feel like you learned your good networking skills? You know, I've been in—I was in sales for over fifteen years. That'll do it.
1: Oh, so, um, sales is purely relationship building, and. I started off in commercial real estate and if you're going to get people to lease out at a very high price point, you've got to go cultivate those relationships. Like People don't just show up um, as leads. And so who you know and who's referring you business and how well can you network and connect. And then obviously, when I switched over to medical sales and calling on doctor's offices and private practices, that's a whole different type of network that you have to build out. When I then started my own company, I'm very transparent. I had not one single lead of a female entrepreneur that I was going to help um, or guide or work with. And so I knew I needed to start somewhere. And I immediately, as I was starting to launch my company, started trying tons of different networking groups and circles. And some of them were a total bust and a Mm -hmm. waste of time. I can't believe I got a babysitter and left my kids and drove in the rain and did all the things. But I always made it a point that I was going to walk into the room, I was going to shake the hands, I was going to meet at least one to two contacts and get my name out there. And then that slowly evolved, where I think a lot of women, especially make the mistake is they start to get comfortable so they stay. And you should be out growing networking groups at a very rapid pace. As your company grows and scales, so should your network. And so if you are somebody that's going to newer entrepreneur meetups and you're finding that you're not getting a lot of business or you have grown and your price points have changed, there's a pretty good chance that those individuals can't afford to hire you, nor do they know the people that you need to connect with. I always say, like, be the dumbest person in the room. And now I network on and I get myself in rooms with eight figure and nine figure female founders because... I want to have those higher level conversations and I want to be able to also bring that back to our clientele. So for me to network on a lower level would do me a disservice and it would do my clients a disservice. And so I think that if you're somebody that's not networking, start. And if you're Mm -hmm. someone that's networking, ask yourself, are you in the right rooms?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. I think I kind of hit that wall as well, where I had this great network of really newbie beginner entrepreneurs. And like you're describing, it's once your services and your offerings are kind of at that next level where it's not an entry level kind of situation, you are doing them a disservice. You're not helping them because you're now in a price point that they can't afford. And then you're also not helping yourself because you're not able to learn. Like you can learn from everybody, but you're not you're not putting yourself in the position where you can also gain and give. And I think that both things have to happen for that that networking relationship to be beneficial, right? Absolutely. And I always tell people, if you can't find it, build it. Mm-hmm. And so
1: for example, is you were at our CEO circle luncheon last um, Friday, and that's something that I got the idea from one of the speakers I had at my mastermind He owns a you know a hundred million dollar marketing agency and he still gets together with a group of CEOs out of Scottsdale once a month to have those higher level conversations talk about what's going on in consumer markets and different industries and so i told him that when he was at our retreat i'm going to go back to san diego and i'm going to start a version of this i don't know what it looks like yet i don't know what it's going to what's going to become of it but i know i can get women around the table at a certain revenue threshold and it's really exciting for me to eavesdrop on all the conversations that are happening because it is business. It is talking about being a mom and running a company or traveling abroad mm-hmm. and making sure that you're still successful. And you can't get that just anywhere. And it's no. really invaluable.
0: Yeah. And no matter who you sit next to, you don't have to know how that relationship is going to pan out to start building a relationship you know, professional relationship with someone. I think that's a big mistake that new networkers or new business owners make is they think that they have to like shove their business card in front of you and like get your contact information and like, right, make their pitch, their elevator pitch. And that's so not it. It's more about how do we have a conversation and how can you like your ears perk up when it's relevant, but also can you still provide value on a consistent basis? Right? Absolutely. And I would,
1: challenge yourself if you are somebody, because I, I do work with a lot of introverts and there's in, there are mm-hmm. introverts that are running multi-million dollar companies. So one, don't let that stand in your way, but two, go into it knowing what you're very comfortable in talking about. And if you are a true industry expert and you've studied your craft and you know it inside and out, you already have the upper hand against whoever you're going to meet because they do something completely different. And so what you're telling them and the advice that you're giving them and the value that you're bringing, just be really confident in that and be willing
0: to share it. Mhm. Mhm. In your opinion, how linked is your your persona and your reputation as a networker, as a professional, and your brand? It's everything, right? <laughs> I think so too. Like I think when my when I'm working with my clients and I help them kind of lean into who they are and what they care about. Like, of course we're designing for your ideal client, but they're like, you just said, they're coming to you because you're the expert. So like let your expertise lead the way. Not even just
1: your expertise, but who you truly are. I am always shocked at how many people meet me in real life, not on social Mm -hmm. media. Like you're exactly the same same, or you're, you look just like you look on social media, or you talk the same way. And I'm like, tell me more of what you mean by that. And like, there's so many people that have this, you know, facade, or they show up one way on social media because that's what's going to appeal to the masses. But then you get on a discovery call with them, or you meet them at a networking event, and you're like, oh, that person's nothing what I thought they were going to be. And so. I do. How I show up on stories, how I talk. Sometimes I accidentally say four-letter words. Instagram bleeps me out. Uh That's how I coach. And so I feel like the women that come to us, they're not looking for somebody super woo-woo or they're not looking for a manifestation because they know that that's not me, Mm -hmm. not what they're going to get. And same thing. I hire people and based off of personality and reputation and what other people have to say about them when they refer them to me. And so I think it's important that you show up, but you show up consistently at networking, on social media, in your copy, in your voice, that it all sounds the same. And Mm -hmm. it's all you and
0: how you truly feel. Because the disjointedness is what makes us not trust people. When it feels like you're showing up online one way and you're showing up on social media another, and then you show up in person as someone totally different we as the consumer get like nervous. So we're like, oh, okay, I don't know how to take you in because you're, there's this incongruence between how you present yourself or your brand and like what you actually do. And so I think that that's a big thing that people discount when they're considering their social media marketing or they're considering going out there and networking or even like working with their existing clients is like all of those communications, that's, that's brand building. You're still b- building your brand in those like micro exchanges, of information or, or anything like that. So it's definitely something to consider.
1: And I think it's so important to be loyal and true to who you are. So Mm -hmm. I could not be in a worse industry or market. I I, I, When people ask me what I do, the last thing I want to say is I'm a business coach, a mentor. You won't find it on my Instagram profile. It even says on
0: my website, like, do not
1: call me a business. Like it's the dirtiest, grossest. I was
0: m- wondering what your thoughts were about the word coach. Cause it is kind of has that connotation.
1: Yeah. The whole thing. And like, everybody's doing it on Instagram. Like I absolutely hate it. Hate, mm-hmm.
0: it, hate, it, hate it.
1: Like I could mm-hmm. not get a worse market. So I don't do what everyone else does. I'm not recording a thousand reels pointing at words. I'm not running ads. I'm not doing these crazy funnels that are putting people through this like lengthy process. You don't have to take a quiz. You don't have none of that. But the women that work with us appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure I could get hundreds of thousands of dollars more in business if I started doing all that. But that's not true to me. It's not what I want to do. I don't care about it. Never will I do it. And so it feels good that when I show up in my marketing efforts or on social media, it's how I want to do it. And I think that so many people get sucked into doing all of these like crazy things that someday I hope they can look back and laugh on. Yeah.
0: But it, I know it doesn't feel good to them or feel true to who they are. And online education has become such a cash grab because it's so unregulated. Like it's so unregulated to figure out who's actually legit. Like I, I, the, wor- the some of the phrases that stand out to me in the coaching industry is like, I'm a multi six figure earner. And I was like, what does multi six figure even really mean? Because that's a huge discrepancy. Like 200,000 versus 900,000, those are totally, two totally different businesses. Very different. And I also say revenue is a participation trophy. Yes.
1: I, I mean, yes. I don't really care if you do 1.5 million in revenue. You could be, as the business owner, taking home 20 grand a year. Where I have clients that are maybe doing 450 in revenue and they personally are taking home 300 of it. Right. And <laughs> very nice. Lifestyle, right? Very great balance. They are mo- like whatever their story is. So for me, all the all the noise out there truly means nothing. I also know too that some of these multi six figure, even seven figure coaches have applied to work with us, and when they drop in their revenue, I immediately decline working with them because I now know they have lied in their marketing. Yes, putting out there is absolutely false. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even take them as a client because to me, a lot of people are losing a lot of money and it's that to me is more devastating than anything is that these women, some of them have invested and we work with women after they've been burned by coaches. And it's sad to think that somebody in their right mind could take that kind of money from somebody and because they have great marketing or good copy that they hired somebody else to do.
0: It feels very predatory. I have a really hard time working with coaches that are using that. I'm going to get the person at rock bottom as a strategy, because to me, the best thing you can do and the best business to run is you don't need me. You want me you don't need me to do your logo and your branding to be successful, but you kind of want me to do it. You know, <laughs> like you don't need me to run your video marketing strategy, but you're seeing the results we're getting and you're intrigued, right? That, those are the people I want to work with more so than, than trying to convince someone like tooth and nail, like it's me or nobody. Cause that's not reality. No. And you know, what's interesting. And I think you'll
1: like this cause earlier you asked kind of like what has, has shifted. Mm-hmm. So I have a business advisor, mentor. And I actually went to her at one point and said, I don't know if I could do this anymore because the industry is just disgusting and I'm just so over it and I could go do a thousand other things. And so we were talking through it and she goes, what you are to your clients is you're the vitamin. Mm -hmm. Some people are looking for painkillers. And so you need to realize and you need to find clients that are looking to take a good thing and make it great, not take somebody who's just looking to slap a Band-Aid on it or to feel instant relief and hand it off to somebody else. And that was a real game changer for me because once I was able to shift that perspective that the people who invest into supplements and vitamin and their health and, you know, cash pay resources, they're in a different area when it comes to their health versus somebody that's just going and using insurance and COVID. And so for me, like that one line really brought it to life. And now we're able to very clearly see the minute someone applies, are they looking for the painkiller or are they looking for, you know, something to really accelerate their brand?
0: I'm totally stealing that. I'm totally stealing vitamin versus painkiller. It makes so much sense, but it's the same idea as like abundance mindset versus scarcity mindset. Are they coming in saying like, I know my shit's good and I know it could be better. I know you could help me reach that next level, new level, new devil. Or is it that they're hopeless? Because when you're working with someone who's hopeless, that's just not fun because then they're looking for you to be the answer to all their problems for everything. And there's just no way that that can be it. Like they have to want it more than we do, right? To be able to work with them and like let their greatness come through. And I
1: tell people that come to us like that. I, I have some really great mindset coaches that I refer out. I say, this is the investment you need to make. If you have money issues, if you have mindset issues, if you're until you get that under control, there is not enough help in the world that's going to scale this business. It just won't happen.
0: Yeah. It's been interesting to see it change so much over the last few years as well, because of course the pandemic hit and everyone was starting a business, right? And everyone's got a side hustle and everybody's got something going on. And then there's that statistic where it's like, what is it? It's like one in five businesses fail in the first three years. Maybe it's even more than that. Um, it's in the first five. So, so really? Yes. Wow. So I wonder I wonder how many of those pandemic like pandemic business babies are now by the wayside. I think honestly when we get to
1: 2025 I think probably 97% of the businesses started in 2020 will probably have have failed because one it was built in just unrealistic times of and course. unrealistic expectations um, and very blindly and there was supplemental income coming in for a mm-hmm. lot of people. And so they weren't able to like fully create a strategic business plan or to go at it with the right mindset. But I think too, I mean, it is no secret. There is a recession on the horizon.
0: Yeah. And anybody who argues against that. <laughs> it's refreshing to hear you say that because my mom, my sister and I have all been talking about it for probably like the last eight to 10 months. And we're like, we can just feel it. Like we f- we can, you can feel it almost in the air that like inflation, rent, everything going up, up, up. And then also leads. It feels like you get leads and then they're kind of like looky-loos. Like they're kind of like, can I get your pricing? And they fade away and then they come forward and they're like, and that's kind of that feeling, that like dodgy feeling of like, okay, what's, how do we stay 10 steps ahead of this, right? How do we future-proof the business in a way to build the pipeline and build the, the clientele and the referral network so that when that does inevitably hit, There's some cushion there. Well, how are you helping your clients through this this (laughs) impending recession? I'll be honest with you. Before the pandemic even hit, we were having recession conversations Mm -hmm. with
1: clients. I mean, you cannot own a business and not be economically focused. You Mm can't. Then we were having the conversation when the pandemic hit. We were having the conversation again several months ago when some chaos broke out in the world and there was a lot of unknowns around that. But it's coming I actually think for female founders like you and I this is going to actually be very beneficial. I think it's going to really clean out a lot of the noise. I think it's going to really a lot of these women like we talked about that say I have multiple six-figure businesses or seven-figure founders or whatever that's not true. Mm-hmm. Are not sustaining for this. They're not building out. They they're putting all their eggs in one basket. And so I honestly would say, if there was ever, ever a time to where you should be aligning, having advisors, having mentors, getting a strong network in place, it's now. And now is the time to be making a lot of money and getting 10 steps ahead. Not necessarily. So you have this, you know, stockpile of cash. No, right. That you're able to win. The noise clears out. And when the markets shift and change, you are seen as a thought leader, as a trailblazer, as somebody that's been in business for five to 10 years and that you're still there to support clients. Because like I said on your last podcast, and I know you made a thing out of it, when the pandemic hits, when the recession hits, when anything like this hits, money does not disappear. It is Mm -hmm. simply to change hands. And we saw that last time. There were a lot of tech companies through 2007 through 2010, that launched and became billion-dollar companies. We also saw real estate contractors, things like that, take a massive hit. So you really want to just be in the markets and be prepared. You might have to slightly pivot or shift. And I'm having that conversation with my clients who I think will get hit if it, when it comes to how can we be proactive now? I know this like construction and architecture and all that is booming right now. We my husband mm-hmm. own a construction company, but how can we start to dip our toes in some other things so that way we're ready to go? We're ahead of it before mm-hmm. because I have a feeling this one's going to hit a lot faster and a more sudden than we saw last time.
0: Yeah. I I think I've seen it. I mean, this is my eighth year in business and I started my business in college. So I've definitely not like a veteran by any stretch, but I watched my parents build their business. Um, My mom really started in 2002, but didn't take off until 2008 when the recession hit the housing market bubble popped. And they realized like, okay, we're not going to do flips, but all of a sudden interior design is like having this whole boom. And watching her kind of weather the storm a few years ahead of me, and then kind of applying that to my own business, it's really interesting because you you mentioned the tech company aspect of it. And yes, they have this like meteoric rise, but then they're totally having like an Icarus moment where they're flying a little too close to the sun. And then they have this like absolute chaotic fall from grace, right? So I'd rather be the slow, steady growth person than the one that w- went like viral and then like fell, plummeted, because that's such a more difficult journey for a business owner.
1: Yes, And I think too, you know, if you're putting so much on social media, you're putting like if without, it kind of goes back to how we were talking about like networking and referrals. Who are you networking with? And are they going to be companies that are thriving through this that are like saying, Hey, you know, we're doing really well. We have so much business. How can we send business to Michelle? Or Mm -hmm. we know a really great, you know, she did our branding. We want to send you, you know as much business as possible. And so really making those strategic alignments with the people, with the individuals, with the companies that together, we can all kind of stand
0: and hold the line through whatever happens with the economy. Mm -hmm. I think people are having that, that kind of come to Jesus moment with Instagram right now because Instagram's not what it was. And a lot of people that put their eggs in the Instagram basket are now realizing, oh shoot, I never built a business on any other platform. (laughs) Like they're having to crawl their way into other realms or other platforms or other strategies, which is just another reminder. Like you have to kind of, if you're going to be in the long game with business, I feel like you have to see, you can't miss the forest for the trees. You've got to realize there's so much more out there. And I'm listening to actually Bethany Frankel's book right now, Business is Personal. And she says, it's really easy to miss the forest for the trees. And it's also easy to forget that before there were trees, there was nothing. And I planted those seeds so long ago and build, grew this forest. And now you just want to talk about the trees, but there's this whole forest that you missed and it started as nothing. nothing. And I liked that analogy as well because it's super visual, right? You can think about how right now we're all working on kind of, okay, plant the seeds, get the land ready, right? So that what if things do go kind of sideways, like you've got that that thing down the road for yourself. Um, yeah. What's interesting is like I was in Scottsdale, um, about a month and
1: a half ago with the network that I'm part of. And there's a lot of eight and nine figure founders in that seven, eight, nine figure founders. And if people want to know what these women are doing, they're investing right now. Like we're not all like stockpiling money thinking like we're not going to, you know, invest into our companies or invest in advisories or mentors or coming to these networking. I mean, we're now more than ever throwing money into things because we want to be ready to go and we want to be in the rooms and we want to have these conversations. And, you know, I spend a lot of money to be in those rooms because I know that those connections, those resources, the amount of referrals that come out of it, that's where it's at. And so if women right now are listening to us talk about this and think like, Oh my gosh, I need to like save all the money and get as many clients. That's not the answer. The answer is like now is the time to be strategic. Now is the time to get yourself a network. Now is the time to be on a higher level than you've ever gone before and get really comfortable being there because
0: the lower level is getting cleared out. It's mm-hmm. inevitable. Mm-hmm. And I think the workforce has changed. We talked about also with the pandemic, like this the relationship of employers to employees and also as as you know, gig economy contractors to I wouldn't consider myself my contractor's boss. I'm just like their team leader. Like I feel like a team captain more than I feel like anybody's boss. And that was very clear from when I started bringing on my team is like I wanted to bring on people that were really good at their skill sets not necessarily good at my skill sets because I like being good at my skills. So having the people that can kind of bookend what I do well, and then also add to that has been really helpful. And it's been really strategic because then based on what leads we have going on or what projects we have going on, or if I'm available or not available, the team can kind of flow in that way. And and it's been nice because we have a really open relationship. Everybody knows what everybody makes. We have team meetings, we do goal setting, all that kind of stuff. There's something I've been dying to tell you about, and it's something that I'm keeping on the hush hush. So like, don't tell everybody. Okay. One of the things I notice with our brand design clients is that they go through the brand design process and they get all their new logos, fonts, colors, patterns, icons, everything. And then they're not totally sure how they're supposed to be using them on social media. Enter the one-on-one kiss my assets Canva Sprint Day. I know that's a mouthful. Stay with me. Basically, this is a three-hour session with me that is part assets, part strategy, part clarity, and low-key Canva training on how to use all of your brand elements together to make templates that you can then DIY for your biz. So think post templates, stories, graphics, email graphics, anything that you are going to be making on a regular basis on behalf of your business. We can create them together in a three-hour sprint inside your Canva account. You can walk away with those templates right at the end of the session and put them straight to use. These can be booked on my website. There are only a limited number of spots per month to book the one on one day. And the link that you're going to want to look for is mkwcreative.co slash kiss my assets. That's mkwcreative.co slash kiss, K-I-S-S, my assets. Assets, A S S E T S, get it like social assets. Kiss my ass, you know, we're being funny, we're a little cheeky. Uh, but the plan here is to really create as much content for you as we possibly can so that you can go out there and DIY your brand in the best bragworthy version of what you envision for your business and really kind of get those clients rolling in. Check that out, book it online. You can book it anytime. There are a limited number of spots per month. So if I were you, I'd get on it sooner rather than later. Back to the episode. In your experience, how has the employee versus contractor landscape shifted, and where do you think it's going?
1: Well, I think that people are grossly overpaid right now, yeah. No matter if they're a contractor <laughs> or an employee, mm-hmm. um, and I get that you know we we have inflation going on, but at the same time, it is not sustainable mm-hmm. for small to mid-sized companies. And I think that part of the reason we're seeing severe inflation is because these larger companies don't have enough people to help and they're short-staffed. And then they're having to, you know, assume this. cost. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think that, you know, there's a lot of confusion around whether someone's a contractor, an employee, and it really has nothing to do with how much you want to pay them or what your role is as a CEO, it really comes down to what is the job description. And some people will fall into a contractor and some people won't. And I think that, you know, there's a huge misstep right now where people feel like, well, if they're an employee, I have more control. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I think actually right now employers are learning with the great resignation that they have less control mm-hmm. than ever. And so I think it's more so what is the job description define it as? Is it W-9 or I'm sorry, a W-2 or 1099? And then from there, how do I build a team that feels valued, that sees the vision, that feels comfortable mm-hmm. and has assurance that we're doing okay and that we're growing and that I as a CEO, is in, I'm investing in all areas of the company. And then being and establishing that environment
0: that even for more money, people won't jump ship. Right, right. How do you counsel someone through that? How do you help them? Because I've got to imagine you're doing that with some of your clients right now is kind of helping them navigate that. What are your best suggestions for helping them build that culture of, I believe in this vision and I want to go where you're going. Like I'm on board. Yeah, so I will say we counsel
1: our clients through employee 1099 issues, probably on the daily especially through these last six months, right? Because people that, um, you know, maybe coming out of college into like these junior level roles, they went to college through a pandemic where they were at home. So the workforce isn't what it used to be. Neither is the work ethic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do you, one, get these employees to be at a level in which you need them to perform, But to where they understand that this is a a job, like this is how it how it works, because there's a little bit of misconception out there of like what a job is. And so we find a lot of our clients are dealing with employee issues. We also know, too, that, for instance, our smaller social media agencies, they may be doing a million to two million a year they can't afford a $125,000 salary for an account manager like some of these large corporations can or offer the 401k matches or the benefits and you know every friday off things like that they just even though the company's doing well it's not doing that well and so it's really finding individuals that appreciate working in a smaller startup environment and how can we offer them something else? So is it the culture? Is it summer Fridays? Is it that you know we are constantly investing into your continued education, which a lot of my clients are doing right now. They're sending their, their staff or their team to conferences, to events, to mm-hmm. trainings, and really helping them build them up because they may not get that at a larger company.
0: And it's it's recognizing that if you do have people on your team, like they are in it for their own professional growth as much as you need them to help get the job done. I think there has to be that symbiotic of, let me help you get to where you want to go. And I have this conversation with my team all the time, what are you working on? What do you want to learn? What can I teach you? What can we help you do better? What tools do you need? Like how would you approach this problem and kind of giving them some of the reins um, to say, like, I don't have all the answers. Like I've got my idea of what I think we could do with this brand, but it is more collaborative. And it's, it's so interesting how much that's changed, but also that I think people who want to work hard and they want that career longevity if they align themselves with the right people, they see those opportunities and they take them. And and I've been that person with my clients. I've got clients that I took, um, who took a risk on me when I didn't have experience or I hadn't done something before. And they locked in a really competitive rate, a very below market rate, but they were my case study builders. They were my projects that got me job five, six, seven, eight, nine off of that project. So there is kind of that ebb and flow, I think, of like, Strategically aligning yourself with not only the team but the clientele that you're getting paid to learn. Essentially, they're taking a risk on you, but that their success is your success and vice versa. I think about that a lot,
1: and I think it's important to be transparent because we are seeing mass resignation turn into mass solopreneur startup Uh (laughs) or Uh freelancer Uh or you know entrepreneur CEOs, whatever we're calling them, but what I always want my clients to drive home for their teams is this isn't easy. Like we want to show you how easy you have it here working for us. And so even if you have that entrepreneurial itch, how can we satisfy that at this company you working for me? Like, do you want to take on more responsibility? Do you want to host the team meeting every week? So that way they don't jump ship when they see what your bringing in and then thinking that, okay, well, she's billing me out at 125 an hour and I make 50 an hour. So she's making more explaining to them what overhead is, how much does all this cost, what were startup expenses of the company? So they feel like they're, they are rewarded and valued there. Mm -hmm. And that they don't have to go start this on their own.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We did that. My last business manager, begged me to make a handbook. She's like, please write a handbook. She goes, you should have a company handbook. And I was like, I've never had a, I've n- I never made a resume. I never worked a salary job anywhere. I was like, I don't know what a handbook is. So she helped me write this handbook and we wrote out every single team member's like roles, responsibilities, standard operating procedures. Basically, if anyone picked this up, this is like the operating manual of my entire company, right? Except for the creative brains, like it's everything. But she made me write down all of my responsibilities, like everything I do on a weekly basis. And this list is so long. It's like two pages. (laughs) It's it's so it's like follows up with leads, creates all the social media all the way down, 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 down. And so when my team members, like when we do have these conversations where it's like, well, I'd like to make a little bit more. I'm always saying like, yeah, which on this list do you want to take over? What of my responsibilities would you like to say, Michelle, I got you. I'm going to take this off your plate. Absolutely. I'd love to pay you more to get that thing done but I can't pay you more just because you asked to be paid more on the thing that you're all, the job you're already doing. Yes. And one of the
1: things we do um, with our clients is one of the first things because they are CEOs with a two page long list is if your job description could only be seven to 10 bullet points, what is your job description? Mm-hmm. And most of us have not actually written out what our description is for the company. So in all reality, we're doing five people's jobs or we're doing jobs or tasks that we should not be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I find that once clients have a job description, um, it's very easy to cut down their work week to 25, 30 hours where they want to be at. And it's like, you have the decision now to stick to this. Mm-hmm. And if you were at a company working for somebody else and they started asking you or doing things that weren't on your job description,
0: you'd have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. So you need Problem um, with like going outside these seven to 10 bullet points. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so it's so helpful because bookkeeping was one of the first things this year that I completely outsourced. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and I hired, I hired a um, finance agency, Louise, who is one of your recommendations and she's stellar. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner was one of those things, but it's hard to let go. It can be really tricky, especially for something like the finance side, which I think people, I think myself, I was like, Not embarrassed of my books. I knew I was running a good business and we were cash flow positive and all these things, but I didn't know where I stood just kind of like in general with just general businesses. So I was so intimidated by it. But I think when you do hire the right person, I loved that their whole agency were people with marketing agency backgrounds. Like that's why they started the finance agency because they all came from advertising and marketing. It's like, oh, this is great. You'll know what I'm talking about, everything. Wow, such a breath of fresh air. I was like, wow, it's so nice that that's handled payroll, bookkeeping. Louise is a great
1: client story. She came to me three years ago, was a, C- a CFO and a controller for a large uh, marketing agency and in Scottsdale, and she was going to start this side hustle. And I've watched her take it from a side hustle to an incredible business model. She now has a team of like four or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to say probably 70% of my clients use Louise as mm-hmm. their... Um, bookkeeper or accountant. Um, and so that's the other thing that I think people, you know, just forget the power of networking is we drive so much business to our clients. I mean, we had a web and brand designer start with us three months ago. I've hired her, and three of my other clients have hired her. Amazing. I mean, Talk about making a return on your <laughs> investment. Mm-hmm. But it's because if I refer somebody, one of my clients to someone, they know that mm-hmm. I 1000% believe that they will get results and that the deliverables are there. Mm-hmm. And I'm very very careful with who I refer, but once I find my go-tos, I always give clients like a list to choose from like here's, you know, but that's why different styles and different personalities come into play because she might not be the best web and brand designer for every single
0: person, so I have like of course. Four clients. No, it's important to keep multiples. Like you're saying, like you don't know who's going to drive well with the other person. And the nice thing of having a great list is you've got choices, you got options, right? You've got people to connect with. I love it. I love networking. It's That's so great. fun. It's so fun. <laughs> um, well, this was a great conversation per usual. There was one question I, I had for you about your marketing specifically, because you posted about this last week and I did get your email this weekend that said, that said, I don't work on weekends. And yes, I pre-scheduled this. And I was like, oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that you sent that email. That was like, these are my boundaries. I'm a mom. From Thursday afternoon till Sunday evening, till Monday morning, uh, you will not find me online. I think that's so healthy. It's so nice. I just got back from like a 20-day trip all abroad with my sister where same thing. I I played absolute business defense. I got my jobs done and I was like, peace, I'm out of here. I'm taking a break. I need to get inspired and get out there. Talk to us about how you set those boundaries and what's been um, kind of the best part of being really clear about those with your clients.
1: Yes. Well, I will say a lot of clients come to me because they see the way that I run my business and what I talk about and the life I live is very cohesive with one Mm -hmm. another. I'm not just saying that I do this and then like late at night, I'm like secretly, or I'm not just saying that we have this type of success to throw it out there. And I am a former workaholic, someone that worked a hundred hours a week and flew all over the country. So I have done a lot of work to get to this point and I know exactly how to get other women to this point. And it is a game changer. 1,000%, whether you're mom, not a mom, married, not married, I don't care who you are. If you're working more than 40 hours a week and it's not just a short season or chapter of the business, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we have been, my team and I, they know The first thing that's going to hit my calendar is always our personal stuff. I drop my kids off every day at school. I pick them up every day at school. I will not miss sports. I will not miss big things. I mean, I took a flight home from Detroit last month at like five thirty in the morning to make my daughter's dance recital, and I rebooked a flight as soon as I found out that she had that recital to get home. Like, I will not sacrifice Mm -hmm. it, and so. Once all my personal stuff is filled in on the calendar, we send out the invite to the clients to fill in the gaps. They can book all the times in between, drop off and pick up and in between. And I don't want to look back one day and say, wow, I missed all of that time that I can never get back with my kids. And I don't want my kids looking back and saying my mom was never there because she worked so much. Mm -hmm. And so everyone talks about balance. Um, I say it's a teeter-totter. I'm either completely at work and my kids are you know, taking care of with somebody else and I'm 100% on at work or the work teeter-totter comes down and the other side goes up and I'm 100% mom, wife, friend, class mom, whatever I need to be. And the work is – someone else is handling the work. Mm-hmm. And it works for me. I feel really good about it. And I very rarely feel stressed.
0: <laughs> so I love that. We love yeah. that. We're all about reducing stress. It's it's always lifestyle first, and I think I I got to see that firsthand from my parents. Of same, they're the same way. They're like, "Where do you guys want to go for Christmas next year?" And we're like, "I don't know." <laughs> you bet you bet your ass. My mom's already like looking on Airbnb trying to find the place for us to go on vacation because we were so it was so much about quality time and like doing the things you love with the people you love, and and we don't work this hard just to work this hard for it to just not exist someday? I don't know. Like, There's too many other moments that are more important than working all the time, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, you will be surprised at how insanely profitable you individually will be financially mm-hmm. when you have a model set up this way. Because even when I'm not working, the business is still making money. Mm-hmm. And when I am working, I'm so clear, and the hours are so concise that I can say at the end of every month, That's pretty much where my hourly rate fell. There is nowhere I could go get a job, nowhere at that hourly rate. I'm telling you right now. And so it feels good. It feels good to see that. Mm -hmm. If I added on 30 hours a week of aimlessly scrolling social media
0: or like doing jobs I shouldn't be doing, that rate would look completely different. Totally. Yeah. It forces you to focus. It's the same. That's the lesson I learned when I started traveling was, okay, I want to go ride ATVs this weekend. Well, I'm going to get my jobs done so that I'm going to go do that. And I don't have to think about the projects that I have to do because I wasn't working like that. That's such a mind game to play with yourself. That's not worth it. Like get yourself to the point where you do feel good in the effort that you've exerted and you had the lifestyle you wanted. That to me is the ultimate dream. Like that is the dream life. That's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everybody find you, follow you, connect with you, work with you? Because I feel like after listening to this conversation, they're going to want your information <laughs> desperately. Um, so let us know where we can find you online. Yes. So you can find me at thejessicamarks.com or on social platforms like
1: Instagram and LinkedIn at the Jessica Marks amazing thank
0: you so much for your time jessica we know it's so valuable and hopefully your hourly worked out coming on the podcast (laughs) it's return on your investment of course um we love having you on and um thanks everybody make sure you check out jessica online thanks for listening bye The Kiss My Aesthetics book group is also going to be a killer resource for you to ask questions, get feedback on anything branding, marketing, or entrepreneurship related. And to catch today's show notes or anything that we talked about in this episode, make sure you go to mkwcreative.co slash KMA pod. We'll catch you next time.